Hey, what's up? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Museroom. My name's Katie, and I will be your host as we meander into the lives of inspiring and creative people. This is a hub for makers, thinkers, and anyone else that is doing the work that they truly want to be doing. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Katie, your host. I'm so excited to be back. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to read you a review. This review is from Bells underscore C, titled Thoughtful and Inspiring Podcast. So many episodes of this muse room have already spoken to my soul. Katie really knows how to find amazing and interesting people to speak to and how to talk to them in an interesting and engaging way. Whether you're a native Clevelander slash Ohioan, or from anywhere in the country, you'll definitely find at least one episode to relate to. It's a great podcast for entrepreneurs, but also is just a nice, calming podcast to listen to and hear people's stories and get inspired. Can't wait to hear more. Thank you. Thank you so much for leaving that review. I truly appreciate it. And reviews are really the best way to support the podcast. So if you have not left a review yet, please consider doing so. Super easy, takes about five minutes, and I read all of them and they make me happy. And I love hearing what you guys think and I love hearing the feedback and it's just a great way to support. So thank you. So moving on, this week on the podcast, I have Lauren Cottmel. She is the vice chair of Bright Winter. And if you are not from Cleveland or if you haven't heard of Bright Winter, it's an amazing winter music festival held downtown Cleveland. It's just this little corner of Cleveland that normally has nothing going on, but it is brought alive with people and art and music and it's incredible. So if you're free on February 23rd, it's a Saturday, then you should definitely go check out the festival. And if you're not from Cleveland, but you happen to be popping through or you're in Columbus and you're really close or Cincinnati, definitely make it a weekend trip to come up to Cleveland, check out the festival and check out all of the other cool things we have to offer. So anyway, Lauren is the vice chair, like I said, of the festival. And so she tells us all about how it got started and anything that you can expect from the festival. She's also the community manager of Yelp Cleveland, so she tells us all about how she got into that. She tells us about what's inspiring her. She tells us how she got to where she is today, and it's a really great conversation. I loved connecting with her, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear the conversation, and I can't wait for Lauren and I to connect again soon. So, here we go. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. I'm excited to have you. Hi, thank you, Katie. Yeah. It's a good day to be here. It is. The new year. Did you have a good start to your new year? Oh, it was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I think any time that you can stay in the house with a stack of books that have been haunting your bookcase is pretty good. What me. books have you been reading? I'm one of those people that reads about 10 books at a time. I start a little of each. And uh, I just finished this wonderful historical biography called The Phantom of Fifth Avenue, which is about the mysterious life of the last 1920s heiress who died in 
2014 at 102 years old. Oh my gosh. And there was a huge battle over her estate and her will and how it got all tied up in courts and herself, she was a recluse. So there's a lot of layers to a very complicated story of a billion dollar fortune. That's, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> I might have to read that. I love any types of books too that are about interesting women yeah. or feminists or people who are ahead of their time. Ooh. And her and herself is just a cool story. Cool. Well, maybe you'll have to send me a list and I can put it in the show notes for people. Yes. Yeah. So it's the new year. So do you have any goals? Like what are, do you have intentions for this year or resolutions or anything? (laughs) (laughs) Well, right now, which we're going to get into, of course, is resolution is making the absolute best Bright Winter Festival we can absolutely have because it's our 10 year anniversary. Oh, I didn't know it's been 10 years. Wow. Yes. So this festival is a huge deal. And especially after January 1st, my brain, as well as the brain of my entire team, just becomes very laser-focused because all of a sudden it gets real Mm -hmm. when 2019 hits. Yeah. Wow. So for right now, that is my biggest resolution. And then maybe I'll have some new ones. Mm -hmm. I like that. And yeah, we'll definitely get more into Bright Winter, but... First, before we get into your background, can you tell us about something that's been inspiring you? Anything that's happened recently that's just keeping you moving and grooving? Yeah, so I'm glad that you mentioned that because there has been definitely something on my mind quite a bit. And I don't know if you personally knew her, but... Back in November, the creative community in Cleveland lost a dear and special person, Nikki Delamont, who is one of my best friends. And losing her in our community on one side has been devastating for a multitude Mm -hmm. of reasons, but it's also been inspiring for a multitude of reasons because my friendship with Nikki, both personally and professionally, has just made me really reflect on Mm -hmm. what a special person she was and why it is so important to be kind, to stay connected, help connect others, help lift others up, and to be courageous. And for me, I have really been trying to channel a lot of the spark that she has and the spark that has rippled within our creative mm-hmm. community so deeply because it's been a very hard time yeah. for a lot of us, myself included, and I just want to keep her her spark keep it alive. as vibrant as yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. That's really inspiring and I'm so sorry about that. And yeah, I didn't know her personally, but I can see how big of an impact she's made on so many people in this community. So, And she's a wonderful person, mm-hmm. and her effects, not only as a writer, but just as a human, mm-hmm. touch so many lives. And those lives affect multitudes of layers, mm-hmm. of Bright Winter especially. And whether it's from the musicians or the artists, the local business owners, or even just the volunteers, you know, Nikki has touched all of them in Mm -hmm. some way. And, you know, one of my favorite memories from a Bright Winter was back in 2013 when we were in Ohio City 
and we literally had a snowstorm and it was a bit of a nightmare <laughs> in the early day as Cleveland winters often can be and Nikki was the first person to pick up a shovel with me and <laughs> just start shoveling sidewalks mm-hmm. and she's very petite woman only about <laughs> five foot very small and to see her shoveling snow as tall as her mm-hmm. um we were just so grateful to to have her in every capacity from writing for the festival to volunteering to really just being my friend yeah. and being the person that I could talk to at two in the morning about an opinion for a project I'm working on for mm-hmm. Bright Winter. So my big source of inspiration right now is this keeping her sparkle alive. Yeah. And is that kind of going to help you with your resolution of making this Bright Winter Fest the best? Definitely. Mm-hmm. A lot of my resolutions are are heavily influenced by my friendship with Nikki mm-hmm. because she always believed that everyone could be the best version of themselves. Yeah. And just to approach the world with more kindness and to slow down mm-hmm. a little and appreciate what's here. And I think about her every day. Yeah. How did you become friends with her? Oh, that's a great question. I met Nikki in 2011 when I graduated from undergrad at Kent State. Mm -hmm. And this was before Twitter was actually, like, very cool. Twitter was just okay (laughs) back in 2011, but we met on Twitter. And we discovered that we had so many mutual communities in common. And we actually had both, at some points in our collegiate career had the same internship at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that brought us together Mm. under some commonality. Nice. And it just created this wonderful friendship that Mm -hmm. I wish every woman could have Mm -hmm. at some point in their life. Because, you know, not only was she the friend that I could send dog memes to all hours of the night, but I could trust her to be a reference for job applications. I could trust her to share my passion for projects that are not necessarily related to my work Mm -hmm. and she would be the first person to lift me up Mm, yeah female friendship is something that i've liked talking about a lot lately because it's not something that is really prioritized in society people more prioritize romantic relationships and not as much as female relationships and yeah i think it's definitely something that needs to be prioritized more and it's really inspiring to hear that you had that relationship. I think as an adult, if you are blessed enough to have an authentic adult female friendship, mm-hmm. because it is very hard to make those authentic relationships as yeah. an adult sometimes, that you should just hold on to it and treasure it. Mm-hmm. It is so hard. I don't, yeah, it's really hard to keep. And even to find new friends at this age when you're not in college and you're not down the hall from someone or you can walk to their apartment in the middle of the night, you know, it's, (laughs) it's harder nowadays. So yeah, let's get back to the beginning. So you're from Cleveland, right? Yes. I grew up in Solon Mm -hmm. out in the suburbs and now I live here in downtown Cleveland. Yeah. So what was your childhood like? Were you creative? (laughs) Were you, what did you want to be when you grew up? That is a loaded question. (laughs) So my story is is somewhat interesting because I grew up in Solon, had a very normal, um, wonderful childhood, 
And as I got older, I went through so many changes of what I thought I wanted to do in mm -hmm. life. And as I sit here today, I am the community manager for Yelp in Cleveland. But to revert back to the beginning, I was 100% convinced that I was going to become an attorney and be like Elle Woods. <laughs> and that was my number one goal. I thought nothing could change that. I had done some internships in the legal profession, had seen a lot of eye-opening things doing that. And then when I was twen about 20, I got an internship with the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and started on a track of PR. Mm -hmm. I was interning with the Smithsonian's Office of Public Affairs, which is located in the Smithsonian Castle, doing public affairs for basically 12 different museums and all their programs. Mm -hmm. And applying for an internship at the Smithsonian is extremely hyper-competitive. I never thought I would stand a chance against these Harvards and these Yale kids. Mm -hmm. um, and as it turns out, when we speak of female friendships, I discovered that I had a collegiate connection with someone who worked in the office and that helped me get my foot through the door. But once I actually got into the internship, I completely discovered that I was maybe too, not to knock any lawyers out there, but maybe I was too fun for a desktop. <laughs> <laughs> and I had always been a creative person yeah. when I was little. I was a comp competitive dancer mm. and had um, art was a huge part of my life. And I just realized that I could make a career out of this in some way if I worked hard enough. Yeah, why did you want, why do you think you wanted to be an attorney so badly? <laughs> what was that, did you have family that was in that field or? I think it was the idea of helping people, mm -hmm. but through the arts we can also help people just in a different way. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I, I'm an empath and I'm someone who really absorbs like the feelings yeah. and the emotions of others and I think I thought I could do a lot of good there, mm -hmm. and I could. I probably could have, <laughs> but for me, doing those law internships were very eye-opening mm -hmm. because I wasn't always able to separate what I was taking home, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And with the Smithsonian, it I was blessed enough to be able to be among the world's most amazing art and the world's most amazing artifacts and the most intelligent, diverse, interesting people that you could ever hope to meet as a young person. And when I came back to Cleveland, that actually started a career for me in the museum world. Mm -hmm. So I went from wanting to be a lawyer to wanting to be in the museum world. Which what I was that transition like for you after th thinking and assuming that you were going to grow up to be an attorney and then totally changing tracks did what was that like what was going through your head like I don't know does did you feel like you were gonna miss out or were you just like ready to make that leap so when I was in DC and was interning at the Smithsonian I already was accepted into a local law school mm. and it was a little scary to have to go back when I got home to Cleveland and decline and cancel all of my enrollment mm -hmm. and my admissions. 
And luckily, we haven't gotten very far, which was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my dad's checkbook was very okay. thankful for that. And mine too. Good. <laughs> my checkbook as well. But to actually say, no, I'm not going to pursue this path and I'm going to pursue a path that my heart is really calling. It was scary, but I knew I was going to have to work very hard to make it happen. Yeah. So as soon as I came back to Cleveland, I started volunteering with, oh my gosh, at least a dozen different arts and culture groups. I immediately came home and started working at the Cleveland Museum of Art, mm-hmm. doing public audience uh, research and marketing through oh. the marketing department. At the time, Gallery One, which is a multi-million dollar interactive center at the cusp of the museum when you enter. Um, That was very repetitive. I said enter twice. (laughs) But when you enter the museum, there's that multi-million dollar interactive center where you can play and explore Mm. and learn about the art in the museum for adults and kids. And I was doing audience marketing and testing that would build and inform the technology Mm. for that entire center. Mm -hmm. So every time I pass by now, I feel very warm and fuzzy. Yes. I stood, you know, with little kids for hours. helping so fun. Understand what they were looking at. So we should know if it could end up in the gallery. That's really cool. So I wanted to go back a little bit. I just think it's so cool that you were given that opportunity somehow by the universe to follow a different path because I think we're told, you said to, you didn't realize that you could help people via art instead of with law. And I think that's so cool that you were able to realize, how old were you when you realized that? Was that? 21. 21? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool that you were able to realize that without... After, without putting too much time into something that really wasn't right for you and you were able to, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's this quote by Zelda Fitzgerald that I live by. Mm. It's framed in my house that says, she refused to be bored simply because she wasn't boring. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really spoke to me. Definitely. Cool. And after finishing that huge project at the Cleveland Museum of Art, I was lucky enough to start working with the Rock Hall in the marketing department, was able to be a team member on some incredible Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And there is really no better place for a young person to be Mm -hmm. than in these world-renowned cultural institutions that we are so lucky to have in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you started out at the Cleveland Art Museum, and then how long were you working with them? Probably about two years, Mm -hmm. and then went over to the Rock Hall. Cool. And I had started as an intern there and then became hired on while I was in graduate school. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then what happened next? <laughs> well, at the same time, like here I was declining all of my my law school stuff. Yeah. And I oh, literally the day before the cutoff line um, applied to the John Carroll Masters of Nonprofit Management program and got in. Mm-hmm. And so on a Friday I applied and on a Monday class started and I was the last entrant. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I was working at the Rock Hall while pursuing my master's full time. Mm-hmm. And 
the rock hall took me on an incredible ride and we were talking about female friendships Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to meet some wonderful women who I'm like lucky enough now to call friends Mm -hmm. who helped like guide and mentor me and saw the potential of of me and my passion for the arts and were there for me as as everything Mm, can you talk a little bit more about the importance of having a mentor at that age and even yeah you don't even have to be young like you always having a mentor it can be so helpful yeah having a mentor is a key thing that I tell a lot of the young women that I work with Mm -hmm. at Kent State because I am involved with a lot of my sororities um, different activities on Mm -hmm. campus And having a mentor matters so deeply because, number one, you know, we do live in a world that is dominated by the patriarchy (laughs) and male energy. And when women can come together to lift each other up instead of tearing each other down Mm -hmm. or letting them know when their crown is tilted is very vital for the entire, (laughs) for the entire, um, gender of women as a whole but when you can appreciate that someone can add value to your organization or can add value to your company or add value to a project and you look at that as adding value and not as a threat it's it's a big deal Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of toxic cultures out there where young women are treated maybe more as a threat or insignificant like their voice doesn't matter yeah and The women who I was lucky enough to work with on my teams really wanted me to succeed. And it's something that I now try so hard to live in my own life and live Mm -hmm. in my own truth when I'm helping work with young people. Mm -hmm. Because that genuine desire of wanting me to succeed, it made me want to work harder. It made me want to ask better questions. It made me excited when I had to be at the rock hall until 10 o'clock at night and then back at six in the morning because it was inductions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think if we all just could expend that level of kindness and taking the time to get to know someone, that's really what being a mentor is about. Yeah. And how about, how can someone go about forming a relationship with a mentor if they don't have a mentor yet? Personally, I don't find anything wrong with identifying someone who is emblematic of what you want to achieve, is someone that you really have a connection with, maybe because you've read their blog, or you've noticed their work, or you've met them once or twice at a networking event, and outreaching them. The first step is you're just never going to know if you don't ask. Mm. And that can be very intimidating, but you're never going to know. So. I always encourage people to use their connections to see if maybe they are able to find an email for this person that interests them. And there's nothing wrong with a little humility Mm -hmm. that just says, hey, I am a young person or I'm going through a career change and I would love to sit down with you and hear about your journey. And if you're in a place or you can even offer volunteer opportunity or volunteer time. It's a really nice way, too, to say, I'm really connected with the mission Ooh. of this mm-hmm. group. 
are there any volunteer opportunities as a way just to go that extra level? Yeah, that's really helpful. Because humility is, hey, we all have it. We just need to practice Mm -hmm. it. And I think sometimes we're scared to practice it. And I can't guarantee that this method will work for everyone, but it's worked for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So you also spent some time in Germany. How that was during college? Yes. Can you talk about that? What was that like? What was it like to be in a different country? And you, I'm assuming you're around eight, nineteen, twenty ish. Yes. Okay. What was that like? Yes. So a little different probably than it would be now because the i this is gonna make me sound so old and I'm not old, but the iPhone really wasn't a thing yet. So I had this BlackBerry. And I was global Blackberry with like no camera and my lack of technology (laughs) when I lived out there was both a blessing and a curse because going out to live in a country where you don't speak the language is immensely character building. (laughs) Let me tell you, trying to grocery shop in a German grocery store when you only know one German grocery word or so I did at the time. What was that? Hanschen, which is chicken. Oh. That's all I knew. <laughs> I was like, if I can get my protein, mm-hmm. I'll figure the rest out. And you couldn't just look it up <laughs> on your phone. like. Well, now you can. Right. Mm-hmm. But in when I lived there in 2009, I couldn't. Yeah. And so it was very character building. And if you ever have the opportunity to live somewhere else, you should, because it makes you a better person. Mm-hmm. And I was an English major at Kent State, so I was in Germany teaching English to high schoolers through a program at Kent. Wow. So how were you able to do that when you didn't speak the language? How does that? Sure. So teaching English as a foreign language is a certification mm-hmm. that exists through Kent's English department. And there is, that's a whole other conversation right. about <laughs> mythology and like, practicum and experience and the group that I was specifically working with was maybe a little bit more advanced because they were in high school and they were of a younger generation Mm -hmm. so they did have a good sense of English but also in Germany they start learning English at a very young age mm -hmm. and Europeans in general have a much better breadth of culture and speaking multiple languages in their schools just more of an appreciation for it for other cultures, yeah. Most of the kids that I taught in the public school system spoke multiple languages mm-hmm. at 15, 16. Wow. Yeah, it's one of my goals, I think I mentioned earlier, was to travel because I have never been out of the country before at all. No way, you have to go. Yeah, I want to. I really do. I wonder if it's, if your experience, how your experience would have been different if you did have an iPhone. I wonder if it would have been better or if you were more present because you iPhones weren't a thing I don't know I've had discussions with them about this with my roommate because everywhere we went I carried a digital camera and my phone Mm. and on one hand I'm very grateful that I didn't have it because I most definitely lived in the moment more but I would have loved access to that gorgeous camera mm-hmm. <laughs> on my iPhone right. to better document things Yeah, because when you're in the bar and you've had a couple of banana license and it's getting <laughs> late like those pictures on the digital camera can come out a little blurry oh yeah definitely and washed out and flash and everything 
and I get very jealous when I know people who are abroad now <laughs> and they're posting these beautiful photos on Facebook. And I maybe have half of that number of photos, but I might have double as many memories. Right. Yeah, because you weren't just like ugh, taking a picture every chance you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I couldn't look up words yeah. and translations, and I just had to figure it out. So I know we're jumping around a lot, but let's go back to you were working in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You were Mm -hmm. working with the Cleveland Art Museum. So you were involved in planning a lot of events. I was more on the marketing side, marketing, Mm -hmm. public relations, and that did include at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame some events. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then how did you get involved with Yelp? So shortly after I left the Rock Hall, um, I was working with Downtown Cleveland Alliance for a little bit, which is not the museum world and the art world, but I was working for Downtown Cleveland Alliance, which is our city's sole nonprofit dedicated to the vitality of downtown through the arts, business, all spheres. And when the Yelp job became apparent, it really was the universe stepping in, Mm -hmm. to use your words. It was very serendipitous in a strange amount of ways because, number one, there is not a staff here in Cleveland for Yelp. Mm. There is one person and a small team of interns that are dependent on that staff member. And the, the outgoing community manager for Cleveland, who has now become one of my dear friends, was making a transition out to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I did not know her. And it was crazy because people kept sending me this job description from Yelp that was appearing in Cleveland. And nobody really knew a lot about it because Kara had had the job for so long and done such an amazing job. And she later became the Seattle community director. But nobody really knew what this was because Mm -hmm. how could such a big company like Yelp have this job opening here? And it sounds so amazing, but no one has heard of it. Yeah. (laughs) And it shows the power of networks because my community really pushed me to apply. People were sending it to me saying, Lauren, this is you. Do you know Kara? You, You and Kara are two peas in a pod. And when I looked Kara up on Facebook, it was wild because I think we had maybe a hundred mutual friends in common, but our circles were always gravitating but never quite touched. Mm-hmm. And so it shows that the power of a network can be your biggest ally when you are trying to figure out what to do with your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because sometimes your networks see things in you that you might not see in yourself. And one thing led to another and I was actually interviewing for the job right around a bright winner which was whew, which I deserve some type of award for because there would be like a crane lift in the background installing something and right. people from Yelp are calling me and I'm running into businesses in the oh, flats trying, so trying to find a bathroom to do an interview yeah. <laughs> and um, it it worked out for the best, and now I literally live in my dream job as mm. community manager for Yelp Cleveland. What does your everyday look like for that? Whew. <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> well, for anyone listening who is not familiar with Yelp, Yelp is a website and social media app that helps connect 
users to great local businesses. Helps you be a explorer, not only when you're out of town, but to be an explorer in your own city. And as the community manager, I am lucky enough to sit at the helm of overseeing this really vibrant community of buzzing people who want to get out and explore local and find local and seek it out and also exist to support the business owners that make our community so wonderful and help them connect the two groups together. Mm -hmm. So I connect the two groups together in a million ways and if you know me or follow me on social, one of the most external ways people see is through our event program, we're constantly connecting the two groups through super interesting events like um, goat yoga was <laughs> one of my favorites. Mm. We did an amazing behind the scenes with Fount mm. Leather at their um, production space. And then in their store, we're doing five course meal tastings. Wow. We are doing a lot to just help the Yelp community understand the specialness. Yeah, so it's always kind of, every day seems like it's going to be kind of different. Oh, uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still still a young gal and working for a huge Silicon Valley tech company like Yelp is really a dream, not only just because of their location. Mm-hmm. I mean, every young person wants to be in Silicon Valley. That's a given. Yeah. But Yelp's also an organization that values individuality and creativity. And I was hired for this job because of those things. Mm-hmm. And while I may not necessarily be working for a museum anymore, I'm able to put those creative mm-hmm. loves I have for the city into this role. And we're constantly working with museums and art galleries and creating and I'm always challenging my community to try something that they might not otherwise That's try. That's so fun. So what are you working on right now? Are there any exciting projects that are coming up with that? Yeah, so there's two projects that I'm very excited about. One is I'm working on a series with holistic healers. Ooh. And I don't want to name any names yeah. yet to throw them under the bus <laughs> if they haven't signed their contract, which, by the way, they should if they haven't yet. <laughs> But I personally have a huge interest in alternative healing. Yeah. And I believe in crystal healing. Ooh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be exploring different um, realms of yoga, inclusive yoga. Keyword, inclusive yoga. I like that. Crystal healing, um, tarot, connecting with your own energies, um, and digging into other types of businesses that can make a big difference in your health and in your life. Mm -hmm. Because so often when we think of Yelp, we are sort of trained in Cleveland to think it's just restaurants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we have good restaurants and we like to eat. (laughs) But Yelp is so much more than that. And to me, these holistic healers have just as strong a space on Yelp as a Michael Simon restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel like Cleveland needs more of that. I think of oh, it would be so great to live in L.A. There's so many alternative healers and yoga studios and crystal shops and all of that kind of stuff. And I would love to see more of that in Cleveland for sure. It's true. And a lot of this is inspired by my employer because, Mm -hmm. you know, Yelp is in California. And in California, they really believe and practice 
a lot of different things for their health that we may not necessarily do in Cleveland. And I live with chronic pain and it's a difficult journey and things like Reiki and um, crystals and you know, inclusive yoga, these are things that have changed my life. Mm-hmm. And so I want to share that with my Yelp community. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky enough that I get to do that. Yeah, so what does that look like? You said you were waiting on people to sign a contract. Are you, how do you help them? Right, so when we partner with a local business um, for an event, we are investing a whole range of resources to help them shine Mm -hmm. um, on and off Yelp and from a marketing standpoint, as well as just getting these top contributors and these top people who are pretty active on all social media in there to build a relationship with that business that they may not otherwise meet on their own. Mm-hmm. And especially for a sector like the arts, and I really do even consider some of the stuff we just talked about to be in the arts, mm-hmm. when I inherited the job, not a lot of arts stuff had really been done. And the businesses that I'm always introducing them to, they might not do it on their own. And in a way, like I am their friend, like leading them through, <laughs> leading them through the ocean and telling them to come because mm-hmm. it's going to be a good time and opening their eyes. And we've been able to do that with the arts, but um, with these types of holistic healers, it is a really big leap of faith to say, I've never had Reiki. I don't understand Reiki. Yeah. It sounds like a bunch of witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> is this going to be legitimate? <laughs> But then to actually bring someone in and give them that personal experience with a business owner where they can explain their story and explain why it matters and give them a sample of like what their work is. It's really life-changing on both ends. Mm -hmm. And when I say sign the contract, it's a loose term. It's more of an e-agreement because like any event planner, we have to require our partners to come in and write Mm-hmm. So you're planning a few different events around this. Yeah, it'll be a large-scale marketing promotion. Mm-hmm. So it will be related to events, uh, social media work, site work, things happening on the app yeah. and on the physical desktop. That's fun. Yeah. So what has been what have been some of the biggest challenges with this job? With Yelp. Yeah. What have you learned? <laughs> <laughs> what have I learned? Well, I'm very aware that there are some people who can be a bit anti-social media Mm -hmm. and maybe not anti-Yelp but just anti-social media Mm -hmm. and one of the biggest challenges has really been just scaling back and putting but it's been it's been a good challenge because I've learned a lot but it's been a really eye-opening experience just to step back and to attempt to put myself in someone's shoes and think about how hyper-personal something can mean to them, whether it makes them happy or it frustrates them. And it's, it's been a huge, huge growth process in empathy, in being able to relate to so many different types yeah. of people and so many different types of business owners and media people. And practicing that empathy has made me a stronger person to get mm-hmm. into their shoes. But also just to help people understand that we live in a social world. And I tell people often that I think, especially in Cleveland, it's better to be a part of the conversation instead of just to watch the conversation. 
mm-hmm. because stuff can take on a life form of its own if you're not contributing to that voice. Yeah, definitely. Being part of the conversation is something I've been thinking about too. Just before I started the podcast, I would, like I said, I wasn't really involved in the community much. So, and I, you know, it felt isolating to see all of the exciting things happening yeah. and wanting to be a part of it and not sure how to become a part of it. So, um, so you, how long have you been working with Bright Winter? Yes. So I currently serve as the vice chair of the board of directors for Bright Winner. And I have been working with Bright Winner since 2011, but only in a board capacity for the last couple years. Bright Winner was started 10 years ago by a couple of friends who, frankly, threw a party in their backyard mm-hmm. and wanted to bring people together in a way that celebrates winter rather than just tolerating Mm. it. And it just continued to grow and grow. And it went from being this community group to a couple years ago, becoming a certified 501c3 nonprofit in Ohio. So Brightwinner's story is incredibly unusual because that is a path that not many nonprofits take. Mm So it started in a backyard, just backyard, just random persons decided to do it in their backyard. And then how did it start to become more of a community organization, not organization, but event? Right. So it started with a couple fire pits, Mm -hmm. a couple kegs. A couple people who just wanted to get outside and to do something in February because February is very under can be very underprogrammed in Cleveland. And as Ohioans, we're very tempted to hibernate in the winter. And Bright Winter was something new to offer to, you know, let's I think the mindset of the founders of at, at that time was, hey, let's see if we can find a band crazy enough to play outside Mm -hmm. in Cleveland in the winter. And it worked. And as people started to hear more about it and hear the the, the word of mouth, it just began to spread. And I always think about that one scene in 10 Things I Hate About You, where, are you too young for 10 Things I Hate About You? I think I've seen it. I'm pretty sure. Who's in it? You're a baby. Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, staple 90s movie. Okay. But there's this one scene where, like, they are in the school and somebody just takes a flyer and just throws it in the school and it trickles down through the entire building and everyone's Mm -hmm. taking it going, like, what's this? And the glory of Bright Winter is that its birth was full word of mouth. And as more people started to come every year and kind of take an interest in what was going on, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's February, it's freezing cold, and there's, like, a group of people who love art having a snowball fight outside <laughs> and drinking hot chocolate. It's so fun. So why would you not want to be a part of that? Right. And it just grew, and it took on a life force of its own, where it went from being this backyard party with a couple of kegs to now, in 2019, you know, a all-day festival with... 40 plus bands, 40 plus musicians playing across 
five stages in an underestimated neighborhood from mid-afternoon till the wee hours of the morning, hosting between 20 to 40,000 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was, when it started, it was pre-Instagram, I'm assuming. I mean, Instagram really wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah, I think at that point, Instagram visual storytelling wasn't a huge part of marketing narrative. Mm -hmm. But the founders at that time, I don't think if you asked one of them today, if they thought it would become what it is now, they might be a little shocked. That's really cool. That's amazing. And where Brightwinner differs from a lot of other arts festivals is that we are a nonprofit. We are a nonprofit. We are free. We are publicly funded. And so donations, I mean, even if you are walking through the door and throw a dollar in the boot, or whether you are a foundation giving a sizable grant award, all of those contributions help keep this idea and this love for Cleveland afloat. And we're a nonprofit that also has a working board. All of our board members donate countless hours of time and talent to help make this festival happen. Mm-hmm. Um, people like me, who I have a full-time job, but I'm passionate about Bright Winter and I've been around a long time, and we come together to make this a reality. And my role as a board member, just in, a, in addition to the boring oversight of the organization <laughs> type stuff, I play uh, a big role with our fundraising and with our volunteer management. Mm-hmm. Because it's at the end of the day, Bright Winter is about people. And it's a festival not for the community, but a festival with the community. Mm-hmm. And you, you want the community to become involved. How can the community get involved if they, if just if I wanted to yeah. somehow get involved? How can I do that? Well, at, at a most minimum level, we obviously welcome contribution, like find obviously contributions of treasure. But if you want to donate your time, we of course welcome volunteers the week of the festival and the day of the festival. But we actually have volunteer opportunities that exist year-round if you are interested in learning more about how a music and art festival works from a professional level. Mm -hmm. Um, What separates us from a lot of other festivals is that our music selection process and our booking process is completely transparent. A couple years ago, we introduced a new mythology to actually booking our bands Oftentimes in the music world, there's a real lack of transparency about, okay, there's this music festival, who makes the decisions, how many white guys are just sitting around a table deciding who they like and who they've seen on their iPod, Mm -hmm. what, when will I be notified? I mean, it's, there's so much lack of clarity and we recently established a music selection committee in the last few years that contains community members who are going through the process of fairly judging all of our submissions. Mm -hmm. Um, Diversity is really important to us, and this this committee especially allows us to make sure that we're capturing the styles and the genres of music from Ohio and beyond Mm -hmm. that maybe we wouldn't have considered simply because it's not our taste. Yeah, that makes sense. We're 
representation is so important. Right. And so for someone like me, you know, I am an indie alternative singer, songwriter, mm-hmm. indie pop kind of gal, but I might not ever consider like a electronic band or right. a bluegrass bluegrass band. Mm-hmm. And putting those voices into the process has given us some of the best talent we've seen in years. Wow. Especially for this year. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because you mentioned the the festival is for and with the community and not everyone in the community is going to like the same kind of music. So that that's really cool. And what's wonderful about this year is that our two headliners who are both equally fabulous are both very different. Um, we're hosting Small Pools, which is an indie band from California. Mm-hmm. Very upbeat, indie pop, rock, very danceable. But at the same time, hosting our first hip-hop headliner, Esri, um, on a different stage. So really providing those options, too, for people so that when they attend the festival, they're not necessarily boxed in to just seeing the same types of music. But that goes for the schedule throughout the whole day. You know, you can get a copy of the schedule and send your mom to see the acoustic (laughs) singer-songwriter, and you can go jump in a mosh pit at the punk stage. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of where Bright Winter thrives. That's really cool. Um, So when does the planning of the event start? I was, when I was talking to Stephanie from the Cleveland Flea, she made it very clear that it wasn't just something that you planned a week before and it just happened, like it's a full-time job. So is that kind of how Bright Winter works as well? It's kind of ongoing throughout the entire year? Absolutely. We are planning for the following year when the current year has not even happened yet. We are already doing things for 2020, and 2019 hasn't even hit the books. Yeah. Um, And a big part of that is our volunteers, because not only do we have that music selection committee, but we have professional committees that are each led by a board member um, where people can volunteer their time and their talent in that area, like marketing, Mm legal, fundraising, etc. and help us plan the future festivals. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful way for people to get involved too if music selection is not quite their thing, yeah. but they want to get some professional experience and also help this amazing event happen. So we are constantly thinking about years prior all the time. Mm-hmm. Never ends. But in a good way. Yeah. How much time do you have to put into it? Is this something that you're thinking about every day? Well, Bright Winter's model is already so unusual because we don't have this giant staff. And I think people are often very shocked when they learn that we are a working board of directors who oversees volunteers. And we also have um, three part-time staff members. Mm -hmm. And those three part-time staff members, which includes our executive director, Brian Horsberg, he works his butt off. (laughs) He works his butt off, but him and his small team can't carry that weight without all of us. Mm -hmm. So I try not to look at it as, you know, itemizing how much time I'm spending Mm -hmm. on it, but rather Bright Winner is something that I've been with for so long and to see how it has grown 
inspires me and it helps keep me getting up in the morning and wanting to do it because there are few festivals like ours that go into a completely raw underutilized neighborhood and excuse me build it from scratch from total scratch Mm -hmm. and activate a quiet corner a quiet corner and a quiet neighborhood that may not otherwise see this level of stimulation on a cold dark february night and we literally make a neighborhood come alive with light and art Mm -hmm. and music and people and we're family friendly at all ages but like in a cool way yeah (laughs) because i all of my friends will tell you i am not very maternal so me and kids (laughs) is like uh, but it's the one event where I am comfortable telling my girlfriends that they can bring yeah. their kids and we can still have a fun time because we're not just watching Barney dance on a stage. Right, exactly. But instead, they can go hang out with the School of Rock, mm-hmm. which is kid performers. That's so cool. Yeah. So there's kids that actually perform in the festival as well. Yeah, so we have an awesome partnership with the School of Rock, mm-hmm. and those kids are so talented. It'll make you want to quit your job <laughs> and just go pick up instruments mm-hmm. and learn to play. So they perform early on, but the festival footprint itself also has tons of different things going on, whether it's an interactive drum line or there are, um, in the past, we've had musical instrument discovery sessions, but we also have interactive art tents that sit around the footprint of the festival. And those dedicated art tents are all experience-based. So there's always explorations of sounds and music and colors. And our art director, uh, Emily Applebaum, is truly a genius. And while Bright Winter is primarily associated for its music Mm -hmm. and its fire and ice components, the arts is the unsung hero Mm -hmm. of the festival. Yeah. I went last year and I remember being in this tent and I can't even remember, but there were a lot of lights and it was just very otherworldly and it was really cool. I'm sure you walked in and felt like you were not in a raw neighborhood. Exactly. Where it would maybe just be a field. Yeah. That's really cool because um, how you mentioned that it really comes alive as a, a, a village almost for one night. It reminds me of um Bonnaroo Music Festival which is totally different but um (laughs) that also becomes like its own town like in Tennessee I guess it's during that weekend it becomes like the largest town in the state or something so it's really cool how music festivals can kind of become a village almost right and we love when people come into town Mm -hmm. to come to Bray Winter yeah so we're creating that safe space Right. For someone to come and fall in love with a new artist or a new musician that they may not have found on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you shout out some of the artists that will be featured there? Some and the, the vendors? Yeah. So this year we have our most diverse lineup to date. Um, we already talked about our headliners, mm-hmm. which are Small Pools and Esri. But what I love about the lineup for this year is that we have a lot of new voices playing Bray Winter. So you'll see some kind of familiar favorites of Bray Winter, 
like Ray Flanagan and the Authorities, um, Uptown Buddha, and Ottawa. But you might also see some new bands, local and otherwise, that you haven't heard of. I personally am really excited to see the set from Mimi Arden, who is a wonderful female singer-songwriter. She has the voice of an angel. And Michelle, if you're listening, I'm going to be front row staring (laughs) at you during your sets. And (laughs) the whole lineup is just so special because as I look at it now, there are bands on here that even I still need to familiarize myself Mm -hmm. with because we have done such an awesome job at giving new musicians that want to play our festival that chance Mm. and that chance to play to an invested audience because another riff that really exists in the music festival world is musicians will tell me all the time that they play festivals and they're playing to these audiences and like there's no one there yeah they've put all this time all this marketing in and there's no one there Mm -hmm. or they're totally unengaged and they're just on their phones if an artist plays bright winner they are going to have an engaged audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really because Clevelanders have adopted us as kind of their festival, Yeah, too, internally. That's really interesting. I wonder how how that happens. What's the difference? What what makes them so much more engaged than another festival? Yeah, I think the common theme that unites everyone who attends Bright Winter is that we love Cleveland. Mm -hmm. It can be really obnoxious when other places shit on Cleveland. <laughs> shit on Cleveland for whatever reason, when in truth, we are the birthplace of rock and roll. Yeah. And we are the birthplace of good music. Mm-hmm. And the commonality that exists at Bright Winter is really unlike anything I've ever seen. Because I have attended a lot of corporate music festivals yeah. personally as a music lover. Mm-hmm. And the vibe is 100% different. Mm-hmm. Because at Bright Winter... It's like everyone, you're suddenly partying with your 20,000 closest friends. Mm -hmm. People are super kind and considerate. People are helpful. People will give you, I I swear, I have seen people give other people hand warmers out of their pockets and lift little kids up so they Mm -hmm. can get a better view and gather around the bonfires that sit on the festival footprint and just talk. And which is a huge deal in 2019 mm-hmm. to talk, to right. converse words with a stranger, yeah. um, to go in the art tents and just play, just to be an adult and just to play. And we're all united by that commonality of loving our city. Mm-hmm. And everything that we do and book and say is something that we 100% believe in and 100% want other people to experience Mm -hmm. that's very cool really inspiring so if you're looking for a festival where you want to you want to be on your phone the whole time and get some cute photos for aesthetic i mean you (laughs) can probably get those (laughs) at bright winter but don't be shocked if you look around you're the only yeah that's not that's not what it's about and there's we currently on spotify have an awesome playlist for bright winter 2019 if you are thinking about attending, that I highly recommend following and listening to. Yeah, I'll have to put a link to that in the show notes so people can find it. Yes, it is so well curated. And if you don't find at least 
five new bands that you didn't know about beforehand that mm-hmm. I will personally come to your house and, I don't know, deliver you a pizza or something <laughs> because it is exceptional. Is that something that the music committee, committee puts together? So the music committee is a key, key voice in review, helping review submissions, but um, ultimately, with their input, um, board and staff are considered as well. So mm-hmm. it's really a team effort. Oh, cool. Nice. So what else can people expect when they come to the festival this year? Well, it is our 10th anniversary. So this is a very big deal. It's a decade of doing this festival in Cleveland. And they can expect the most diverse art and music lineup they've ever seen. I don't want to spoil any of the art surprises, Mm -hmm. but when you're making your plan for the day, you should absolutely make time to stop in those art tents as you did. Mm -hmm. And and see all of the awesome collaborations that have occurred um, with some of our most brilliant artists around town. I think you're going to be shocked at the amount of things that you can see, touch, play, dance with. Uh, It's really going to be something special. And another big goal for us this year and moving forward is accessibility as well. So if you've never not attended Bright Winter out of... um, concerns about accessibility we are really working hard to create an infrastructure and create an experience that is friendly to people with all abilities yeah and where will this take place this year is it always in the same area or do you guys do it in a different area every year so historically we have moved neighborhoods but for the last few years and for this year on Saturday, February 23rd, we will be in the Flats West Bank Ooh, as cool. in previous years. Fun. Yeah, and then so you mentioned that you're really trying to work on accessibility. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that you guys are working on. What else are you trying to make move forward? Where do you see the festival going <laughs> in the next few years? Whew. <laughs> kind of a hard question. <laughs> no, it's a huge and wonderful question because we are only as strong as the community that yeah. supports us. So without taking into consideration factors like our funding abilities and, and infrastructure things, I think we're all excited to explore what Bright Winter could be outside of a one-day festival. We are still internally thinking about what that means because we are such a small team guiding such a big ship. (laughs) But I think I can speak safely on behalf of the whole group when we just consider what our footprint can be in activating Cleveland and other parts of the year too, beyond just the fest. And because this festival started in someone's backyard with a bonfire and like one band Mm -hmm. and now has transformed into 40 bands from 1 p.m. to 2 a.m. with artists and live fire dancers and ice sculptures. You know, to say that we know where we're going next would sound like a bit of an understatement Mm -hmm. (laughs) to consider where we have even gotten at this point. But I don't think it's out of the question that people will start seeing Bright Winter more Mm year-round than just February. Yeah, I was wondering about that, if you guys did any other events throughout the year but so you haven't yet um we've definitely been lending our support to other Mm -hmm. community events because those friendships are very Mm -hmm. important to us but 
are part-time staff, they definitely have some big dreams for where they'd like things to take cool. us, um, which is why it's it's so important that if people can, they consider donating. Mm-hmm. To, it really helps us thrive and, and helps us get to the next chapter of what we're doing. And yeah. we want it to continue to be a free festival that's open to the public. That's really cool. And I think my personal hope is that at some point we can expand with more programming and bright winter can be something people can look forward to year-round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can people give a donation? So the easiest way would be to visit brightwinter.com directly. Bright is spelled B-R-I-T-E. And you can give easily and securely online there. But also when you are at the festival, please consider as you're entering um, just stopping by and saying hello to our hardworking volunteers who are collecting, take pity on them. It's a hard job to collect money mm-hmm. <laughs> at the door. But that would be the, the most effective way. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so this is a free event. So do people have to reserve tickets or anything? Or is it just kind of you walk in? Yeah, so you do not need to reserve tickets mm-hmm. to attend Bright Winter. But uh, that's why we just simply ask that if you can make a small contribution yeah. uh, towards our efforts, that's very helpful. And um, there are going to be illuminated entry paths into the festival, so people will know exactly where the right places to enter are from. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. I just want to ask you one more thing. So you seem like such a champion for Cleveland. <laughs> um, so I just wondered, why? Why do you love Cleveland so much? Have you? Has it always been something you're so passionate about? Yes, because... I have lived away from Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And when you live away from Cleveland and then return to Cleveland, your love for this city will all of a sudden know no bounds. Mm -hmm. Because Cleveland to me is a city where people want to help each other and lift each other up, which is very rare. People really care here. And part of it is probably because we've had some not-so-great times, (laughs) but those times are behind us. And there is so much innovation happening here, and just to believe in it and to be a part of the community is a really important thing because I really feel like when we all work together, the profile of the city rises as a whole. And that is, is what is so unique about Cleveland, is that we, we hold such captivating, intelligent, clever, bright people who all want it to succeed. And that is very inspiring to me because we view our collective success as the city's success. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas other big cities, it can maybe feel a little alone and a little isolating and maybe they're going there in order to chase a dream. But here we are creating our own dream. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's really a great community to be a part of, and it's so inspiring to feel like both of us are part of that growing process. So, yeah. So do you want to make any shout outs to some of your, I'm sure you don't have too many favorites because you probably have so many, well, you have so many favorites, (laughs) so it's hard to narrow it down, but any Cleveland businesses that you're loving right now, any new ones that you've discovered? that you want to give a shout out to? From a bright winner standpoint or from a... Just Cleveland lover standpoint. standpoint. Oh my gosh. Well, a business that has been... Two businesses that have been very uh, life-changing for me lately 
especially in, in, in dealing with the loss of my great friend. Mm-hmm. One is Coven in Lakewood, oh, which yeah. is owned by Miranda Scott. I haven't been there yet. I really would love to go there. Yeah, it's a feminist witchcraft store. And witchcraft gets a really bad rep mm-hmm. because of what the media has trained us to right. think. Yeah. But Miranda's whole sphere of her store is just about female empowerment and friendship and self-care and self-nurturing and they just she has the most incredible selection of like local goods whether it's like perfumes or bath bombs or um, little books and I just love going in there and getting lost Mm. and I also recently fell very much in love with Earth Angels Holistic Health in um, in Cleveland up near Metro Health and they have just been incredible people in terms of their spiritual work and I think that if someone is looking to become more motivated with their own self-care those are two businesses that they should absolutely look into and um, they'll help you with those resolutions in 2019. Nice. Awesome. Well thank you so much for sharing so much and sharing openly. It's awesome. Um, How can people get in touch with you? How can people get in touch with all of the projects that you're working on. Sure, so many handles, wow. <laughs> if people want to find me personally, I am on Twitter and Instagram, at Lauren Cottmel, just my name. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also follow me at Yelp Cleveland, or at Yelp, excuse me, at Yelp Cleveland, or at Brightwinter. Mm-hmm. Though I do not personally manage the Brightwinter account, it's mm-hmm. a great way to stay in touch cool. with what's happening with the best. Awesome, anything else you'd like to share? You are awesome, and thank you for putting this podcast together. And everyone should subscribe and leave for a review right now. Thank you so much. (laughs) I love that. Awesome. Thank you. That was my conversation with Lauren. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us on the show and sharing so openly. I really appreciate it. And if you're in Cleveland or if you're not, go check out Brightwinder Fest on February 23rd. It's going to be a really fun time. I'm going to be there, so hopefully I'll see you there. Before I go, I just want to let you know that Muse Room Media has launched. So I am offering podcast management packages and podcast coaching. So for the podcast management, I am taking away all of the hard, nitty-gritty work from podcasting so that you can have a podcast, the podcast of your dreams, without getting stressed out about editing and the technology. So all you really have to do is record the content, send it over, and I'll put it all together. I'll put it on iTunes, all of the good stuff. So if you're interested in that, go to museroom.space slash museroommedia and you can find out all about the podcast management packages. And for the podcast coaching, it's only $50 for an hour, so it's a really good deal. And it can be tailored to your needs, so if you already have a podcast, we can talk about how to make it better and how to and I'll critique it. And if you don't have a podcast, we'll do a little brainstorming session. We will talk about how to set up your podcast and all of the nitty-gritty stuff. So if you're interested in that, please check it out. I'm really excited to help people have a podcast. Podcasting is one of my favorite platforms, so I want to make it easier for everyone else. All right, well, that's all I have for you today. I can't wait to connect more. Please leave a review, subscribe, rate the podcast, and share with a friend. 
And in the meantime, I will see you on the internet. Thank you so much. Happy listening. Bye.